Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about the recent banking crisis and whether it will lead to lower mortgage rates. First, here's a word from our sponsor. I'm Diego Sanchez, Chief Operating Officer of HW Media, and I'm here today with Melinda Wilner, who is the Chief Operating Officer at United Wholesale Mortgage. Melinda, so good to chat with you today. Great to chat with you as well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's dive right in. With mortgage rates in the fives and sixes, depending on the product, 2023 and 2024 will likely be purchase markets. Why is client experience so important in a purchase market? Great question. Client experience is always important in any market, I would say. Being in the service business, it's the epitome of everything. So in this market, um, we know, we hope, rates will drop again one day. So there's a lot of things that are out there on the horizon. But just taking the client experience, like our world is so noisy these days. It's really become about the experience and how things are remembered to us. It's easy to go to a restaurant that's just middle of the road and like you don't even remember the name of it where you ate yesterday versus something that has high high experience so in this purchase environment with rates going to go down again one day the likelihood that there's future refinances is very humongous not only for the borrower to have a great experience and i think a purchase is even more exciting than a refinance you're a little bit more hands-on with the borrower helping them you know buy maybe their first home or maybe their final home or something in the middle so there's a lot of time spent with it but even the experience for the realtors and everybody else involved is really big. Melinda, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insights. Thank you again for having me. Appreciate it. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here. And yes, it has been a very crazy, wild, intense week. Um, we're talking on Friday morning. And by the way, that Gandalf line in the sand as of this second. I think the 10-year yield is still at 3.42%. It's been very hectic this week on the bond market. And whatever we talk about today, this Friday morning, a lot can change by Monday morning. It's one of those uh, uh, weeks. And oddly enough, uh, I got a, a memory of March you know, uh, 16th of 2020. And uh, I think Anthony Casa was interviewing me. That was COVID-19 week where the mortgage market was going crazy and everyone was going crazy. So we are just doing the three-year three, three year anniversary of, of madness again in the financial world. Boy, you are right on all of that. So when we talked last Friday, um, you know, so much happened over the weekend uh, before, you know, you wrote your your uh, market tracker article, your housing market tracker before we, we got back on another um, podcast. But yes, yeah, so let's talk about this because we had Silicon Valley Bank fail. We had the government step in over the weekend. Would you now say that that has, can, can we call it a banking crisis? Is it beyond just Silicon Valley Bank and a few others like it? Whenever the government has to do intervention and you have to open the discount window, which basically the Federal Reserve is is allowing banks to uh, uh, borrow, um, it's an f- emergency funding, and you have the biggest increase in a very short amount of time to all-time highs, yeah, it's a national bank banking crisis. So uh, that occurred, by the way, under their watch, and the rumor is that the regulators in the San Francisco Fed, those who heard me the last few days, San Francisco Fed knew something was wrong, and the person that was there moved to Silicon Bank, or you know, the one that already went bankrupt. So, oh yes, someone needs to lose their job. Um, 
And on one hand, you could say, well, the government is now throwing everything they have at this and it's solved. On the other hand, what's the next shoe to fall? Um, and I think that's the tug of war. And the, the bond market reaction, not just the long end, but ex- especially the two-year yield, is just chaos. And, and a lot of this has to do also with Wall Street was very short, the bond market before all this news came out. But um, history says that this isn't the last shoe to fall. But you remember last year, we had the pension funds of the UK almost go under and then it, after a few weeks, it was done. So I think take a deep breath. The economic data this week was you know, good. The Atlanta Fed showed 3.2% GDP. Jobless claims were down. Housing starts beats. Purchase application data was up. You know, retail sales missed. Industrial production was, you know, so there isn't anything on that front uh, for the week. But it, so it's all banking. And if you're a consumer credit driven economy, that matters. And I think that goes into the uh, uh, other discussions uh, later on. Will this create bank tightening to get worse uh, in the general economy? And if that happens, credit uh, credit growth slows down. And the leading economic index uh, came out today. It's now the 11th straight month of month-to-month declines. If you look at history, uh, that's that's a very uh, hardcore, one hundred percent correct recessionary uh, data line, and uh, it it gets more interesting on on the mortgage rate, bond yield, Fed funds front, because what does the Federal Reserve do now? Usually, what happens is they parade someone out on TV, and they'll say, "We don't agree with the the uh, short term rates, pricing, and cuts, or anything." What can they say now? They had a national banking crisis. They had to do emergency lending, and the borrowing, you know, uh, on that was extremely high. So uh, it's a quiet period for them. But I, to me, I always say that in a national crisis, you should uh, disavow your um, quiet time and, and come and try to talk now. And let's see what you say now. I think the the verbiage of the Federal Reserve members now gets more interesting because they were kind of head down. Here we go. We're going to raise rates. We're going to raise. Oh, no. Oh, somebody's buying a house with a 6% mortgage. That's not good. You people can't live your lives. Us unelected officials who do not fear losing our jobs, you're making our jobs harder. Boo-hoo. You know? Um, so it'll be more uh, interesting to see what they say now after this event. So let's talk about First Republic Bank, right? So we had Silicon Valley Bank. First Republic Bank, uh, does that, does what takeaway did you get from that situation? I think the banks all want this to quietly go away as soon as possible. And uh, they weren't uh, uh, holding back on assisting uh, uh, First, First Republic, but to me, the implications are more, does this create a tighter credit market? And that's, you know, the, the history of economics is when, you, when you're in a recession, you're going into a recession, credit gets tighter. That's traditionally the case. We saw this uh, uh, in, in the survey data. Does this make this worse? Is that If that is the case, then credit contraction gets worse. And then the Fed in some ways, gets what they want. They want their job loss recession for their jobs to be easier. Um, 
if that's the case, then what are the implications? Because if you know my whole thing, if the labor market breaks, bond yields go down, mortgage rates go down, mortgage rates disproportionately in this kind of environment helps the housing market because we're not such. You know, I, I one one of the things I've always tried to emphasize on the tightening of credit, and this goes back to COVID nineteen, credit availability exploded from like two thousand two to two thousand five. So the demand curve back then, when I mean demand curve, rising sales, all all needed like exotic loan debt structures to keep get, getting more easier and easier. And then it collapsed from 2005 to 2008. A lot of the bearish COVID-19 housing people had a right assumption. They said credit's going to get tighter and people make up stories that transactions are being clo- you know, killed at the last second as banks... That didn't happen because credit did get tight on paper, but there's not much um, you can do. And I think this is the benefit of having Freddie and Fannie in conservatorships. If they were publicly traded stocks, you know, if their stocks go down, you know, what's the capital raise, you know, uh, um, and and no bank is really ever prepared for a bank run, no matter what you do. Um, that's why the federal reserve is always mindful. You have to get ahead of this and you have to get, this is where they're not old and slow. This is where they're, you know, mighty mouse coming in. By the way, I didn't know mighty mouse could actually shoot lightning from his hands. I did a mighty mouse gif and then I saw him shooting light. I was like, you know what? I did not know that I learned something new. Um, here I come to save the day for people that might not know what I'm talking about. And in this case, Getting ahead of this and throwing everything at it, the the one problem that I hope doesn't occur is that they get a little bit arrogant. They're thinking, "Look what we did! We can do this all day. We can we can provide liquidity and still focus on our um, inflation fight and be very aggressive." Um, and if that occurs, then you don't know what's the next shoe to fall. And what if you couldn't, you know, stop it? What if you have a a, a a major credit problem that you couldn't throw? That to me is is a concerning variable now that's here that was not part of the discussion 10 days ago because we didn't have a banking crisis. Does the Fed get even more arrogant? Did the Fed get more stuff in their eggnog? Do they do they start to say we're just going to throw everything at any crisis and we'll handle this and we're just going to push ahead and be more aggressive because the labor market is the reason inflation is here and and we need to destroy it. So that to me is a real threat. That's why I want to see what the Federal Reserve says now. Uh if they if they say that topic then you're just like crossing your fingers and thinking okay, if the next crisis comes, they're just going to throw everything they have at it to try to uh, cool it down. Boy, I uh it's hard to see how anybody looks at this situation and thinks that they they did, you know, they should be arrogant like, oh, we did such a great job here. It seems like humility would be a, an appropriate thing for for this. They time. use the term humility and then they say we're going to have our own investigation. Number 1, the Federal Reserve cannot investigate itself. Like, you know, who watches the watcher? Right? right? Somebody else has to come in and, you know, uh, and then go in there and 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 look at everything because it appears right now. I, I don't know if this is true. This is just a uh, something that popped up Friday morning that they had somebody looking at Silicon Valley Bank and they were kind of concerned. And then they moved that person to another bank. 
inexplicably, and that bank went under already. So I've I've focused all my attention on the San Francisco Fed. This is their mess. And any one of us, if this happened under our watch and we were the president, we would be relieved of our duty, right? Especially with some of the comments the San Francisco Fed president made before all this. And uh, um, hopefully there's there's some kind of mechanism to put them in check. Because again, I'm I'm always mindful of people who can't bleed, right? Because they're going to think, it doesn't matter. I can't get fired. So I'm going to do this. And they're not afraid of missing things. And I think this one is, is one of these things where uh, we need somebody looking at the Fed now uh, and not have them do their, oh, we're going to do a quick investigation here. Oh, maybe we find more of our Fed members illegally trading stocks. Or maybe some of our Fed members are talking to big banks when they should have. Bullard, okay, we've had a few Fed members have to resign because they did illegal. I think there is a good, good, good um, case to be made is that we need the we need a watcher of the Fed, uh, um, and we need them to investigate these situations, not internally. Uh, and then in that context, um, I like it when people have to sweat a little bit. Right, and then to think about, hey, listen, if I miss this, I might lose my job. I don't like it when somebody thinks I can't lose my job. I'm an unelected official, and basically, I have a shield around me, and nothing can happen. You can get sloppy in that kind of uh, mindset, especially when there is so much at stake. I mean, we are talking about very important things here. Let's let's bring it back to our mortgage industry. You talked about. The ten-year yield. You talked about mortgage rates, but let's dive into that a little bit more because the ten-year yield has been really interesting to watch here. So you had in your twenty twenty-three forecast, you had a range, and you said you expected the ten-year yield to stay in this range, and that meant mortgage rates in a certain range. Tell us where we are, and and what you expect. So the ten-year yield, the the initial forecast for the year, I think the year started at three point seven zero. Said as long as the economy stayed firm. We'll be in a range between three point two one to four and a quarter, which means five point seven five percent to seven and a quarter in rates. So uh, we we've stayed in that range. The spreads have been wide, of course, um, but there's also two key areas. Part of the tracker, I think, those of you who who follow the the weekly tracker, you know, I draw those black lines, and the mother black line underneath is that three point four two area. And I said this one's going to be tough to crack. And crazy to say this. But even with all the chaos this week, so far it's Friday morning. Uh, that line is kind of held its 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 course. And and the reason I say this is that the whole premise was that if the economy stayed firm, then uh, bond yields would stay up. Even though I'm you know the growth rate of inflation will fall over time, and 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 especially rent inflation is is artificially keeping the CPI data higher. Um, you know it. Uh, it's one of these things that on one hand you could say, well, okay, well, that level is held during a national banking crisis. And then on another hand, you say, how the hell is that level holding up? You know, you have, you have a brand new variable. And, and, I, and I say this because, you know, I have these ranges that I do on my forecast, you know, since 2015. And then when COVID came, I was like, okay, COVID, guess what? The 10 year yield could go to negative 21 basis points to 62 basis points. That was the range that uh, I talked about on COVID. And we got as low as, I think, 32 basis points on the 10-year yield that week, three years ago, uh, this week. And uh, 
If the 10-year yield gets above 62 basis points, it means we're in expansion. I don't want to even go into complicated matters like that. Apparently, I'm too nerdy for some people and I have to like dumb it down. But here, I'm going to wait to see if we can crack here um, because normally we would the bond yields would be bursting lower. And the fact that it's still holding its line to me says that the bond market thinks the Fed can control this for now. And this is why I said that for the the whole 2023 year is basically the labor market and that the jobless claims data which was which was good again this this last week if that starts to break up higher then the bond market's all here we go. Bye-bye Jay, bye-bye Kashkari, bye-bye Bullard. We don't care about your what you think we are we are pressing ahead. And you see this action in the two-year yield. Basically, the, the short-term rates are saying, cut rates. So your 6% Fed funds drunken dream is over with. Cut rates. So, um, But the volatility this week is so much because the bond market was so shorted that we need a little bit of time to kind of take everything in. And then when things stabilize, we'll see what the... Uh, uh, what happens after the explosion but man it really was this is this is one of the talking points we've had here on housing wire is that we we kind of resemble like a third world country rates are just going up and down up and down and how are people supposed to like you know uh, uh, uh manage through this and it gets to a point where it gets a little bit of embarrassing like we're the united states of america we're not some third world country that has all this drama when the dollar gets higher you know so uh it'd be Better for the Fed to try to think about stabilizing everything and uh, be mindful of your words now, okay? Because my whole thing was that I assumed I took their word and said, okay, we're going to hike rates super fast, but we're going to stop. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to lower our rate cuts quarter percent and then get to five, five, and then that's it. We're going to sit there and say, I went, and then they changed everything and all hell broke loose, right? And uh, uh, that's the frustrating thing. It's like there was no need to push that at that point. So we've talked about the bond market, and you've you've talked about rates a little bit. But you know, I was thinking this time last week when we had a run on a bank, I thought for sure rates were going to go down. They went down for a little bit, but they they didn't. To your point, they didn't they're back. Down. They're back and forth. They're just yeah. back, like every like every twenty four hours. Down 20 basis points, up 20 basis points, that, you know. Um, but uh, clearly, to me, we didn't really break above the higher end range, kind of that 395. We closed above it. We have no follow through. So here, like what I'm looking at is that I want to see a close below 3.42%. And you're talking about the you're talking about the 10-year the, um, the yield. Yeah, for right. mortgage rates to make another leg lower, it needs the 10-year yield needs to close. And why do we talk about the 10-year yield instead of mortgage rates? Sarah Wheeler. Oh, I know. Let's see. This was your talking point this over the weekend. Is, oh, the love slow dance that the 10-year yield and the mortgage rate has since 1971. I mean, you want to talk about a passionate couple that these two think about all the drama and chaos in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and still this lovely romance between the 10-year yield and mortgage rates. They are such passionate partners because they don't really deviate ever from each other. And this has been one of the grifts for 11 years that all of a sudden it's the mortgage-backed security market that if we can have a, 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 a decoupling of this lovely romantic partner uh, dance couple. 
and mortgage-backed securities and the 10-year yield doesn't matter if it goes down, rates will still go up higher. So not the case. And I always like to show these charts from 1971 to uh, 2023. You can see this. It really revolves around the 10-year yield. This is why I focus on the 10-year yield, not mortgage-backed securities as much. Um, if we could get a close below 3.42%, we get then follow-through bond buying there's your best case for mortgage rates to to take another leg lower. Um, the spreads are are terrible, um, so uh, we're dealing with that. But you, you the, the the housing market really revolves around the ten year yield uh, because the credit systems are are have always been boring and stable for the last decade. That doesn't really matter much here. So bond yields, mortgage rates, bond yields, mortgage rates, and we saw. Um, you know, whenever mortgage rates trend lower, purchase application data gets better. When they spike up higher, they get worse. We try to keep this as simple as possible in that. And uh, uh, to get that next leg lower, you're going to you're gonna need either the labor market to break or um, a national crisis event. So we're testing it. It's Friday. It's, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you and it's just like banging on that level still. So we'll we'll see what happens. I know, and we're almost afraid to, to say the words national crisis. Like, listen, we do not need anything else. I don't think any of us need anything else to happen. Uh, yeah, so it's it, it's interesting because this back in 2005, 6, 7, and 8, we saw credit deterioration bad on the consumer side, and then it, then it filtered to the banking side. So this is why it's not 2008, the credit U.S. consumer balance sheets are, are 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 very good. They're not they're not seeing the kind of foreclosure and bankruptcy stress that we saw 2005, six, seven, eight. Then the job loss recession. But now that short term rates are up, uh, the accumulation of net interest costs. You know, we talk about the overlays of credit, and you know uh, that bites into people's. Uh, um, uh, disposable income to a degree because they're they're paying more in interest. That eventually in time is supposed to wear wear down the consumer. But here, we're not talking about the consumer here. We're talking about banking banking system, regional banks. And uh, if, if credit gets tighter on the consumer side, then that's something we look out forward and it'll impact the economy. Um, much different than what we saw in uh, 2005 to eight, of course. But uh, the Fed threw everything they had at it and are trying to tell everybody, it'll be okay. Everything is fine, right? You know, we'll just keep on doing this whenever there's a crisis. There's where it makes me cringe a little bit because sometimes when when you do the same thing over and over again, you think it's always going to work, but what if one time it doesn't? And then what, right? And then you're going to say, oh, we, we're, our job is to create a job loss recession so we fight inflation. Mm. It's a little bit different to say that now at this point. That's why we need to see the Fed members talk uh, because let's see if this event changes their tune. That that whole conversation reminds me of the you know the memes where it's like the dog is sitting in the middle of a burning kitchen. He's like, "It's fine, I'm fine." Yeah, it's fine. And and and, and to be fair, listen, um, the Federal Reserve job is a dual mandate: uh, facilitate employment and price stability. Right, we had the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history, and those two things were there. Um, you know, the uh, in 2018 they pivoted, started cutting rates. They 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 did not like where the economy was going then. Okay, we were the economic data started to get better in 2019 and 2020 before COVID. Uh, so w- w- the global pandemic variable changes a lot of things. 
And they responded very quickly. And we had the fastest, strongest recovery ever in history. Here is it gets a little bit different for them because of the uh, uh, inflation data. Now, how you handle this going out after the crisis in banking really says a lot because somebody could tell me, hey, listen, we the UK pension funds went away. That problem went away, right? Uh, here, they're going to say, hey, listen, they threw everything at the banks. All the banks are going to be covered and everything. This problem will go go away too. That's a, that's a viable uh, a statement to make, but we need time. And we need to see what the Fed members say now, because uh, um, you could, in a sense, a a hawkish pause, or you know, I, I know one of my friends on Twitter said that that they might be, we're going to really fight inflation, but for right now, we're going to pause the rate hikes. Something like that will be interesting. But Jay Powell's questions, the Q and A, I have never seen a, like a better time to watch a live Q and A to see how he reacts and to other Fed members. We need Fed members talking now to see if they learned anything on this or do they still stick to they, we need jobs to be lost to fight inflation better. It will be fascinating to see. I did want to bring up some of the economic news we had this week, specifically yesterday. So let's talk about um, what we saw on housing starts, on you know that, that whole builder's confidence. What did, what did we get there? So housing starts had a big beat from estimates, um, housing permits that were falling noticeably kind of paused. Um, completion data is slowly moving higher. Uh, and, and I've always said that, you know, the difference between now and let's say uh, 1974, we had major rent inflation in the 70s and that drives uh, inflationary data. But here we have so many homes under construction that are five units apartments and the recession hasn't destroyed it or or, or the, that data line isn't falling. So we're going to get more supply. And this is why I would say uh, the, this housing starts report is actually good for mortgage rates because the most effective way to beat inflation long-term is more supply, right? Uh, to, to destroy demand, that's a very short-term uh, uh, fix, if you believe that's a fix. Um, so that's it's a positive report because completions are still rising. We have still a lot of homes under construction. The builders have kept their uh, uh, um, workers to fi- finish the job, and they're moving products. Right, uh, the single family uh, uh, homes under construction is falling. New home sales grew in the last report. They're working through their backlog, uh, and it, it's it's such an interesting aspect. The the the, the builders really lucked out. The one time in history they have this massive backlog. Total active listings are still near all-time lows. So their biggest competitor is not out there, which gives them their product more value. And they don't mind cutting prices and lowering mortgage rates to move products. So fortunate for them, the one time in history that they had a big mortgage rate spike and a huge backlog of homes, uh, they don't have a lot of competition. And and that's a benefit uh, for them and employment and COVID-19 delays or a jobs program and Let's get those apartments built out. Let's get out there because that's the best way. And that's why I always say these reports are good for mortgage rates down the line because you get that rent inflation data cooling off on the CPI eventually because it lags. Then it's very hard to say that, oh, we're going to reaccelerate like the 1970s. This is why all my inflationary work is to try to teach people this is not the 70s. Put your disco pants away. Put those shoes away. You know, you know, this is 2023. We've got a whole new vibe, a whole new look now, right? let go of that decade. 
Ah, the disco pants. We do not miss those. I personally (laughs) do not miss those, uh, even though I was very young at the time. Um, So interesting when people hear builder's confidence is up, when they see, oh, uh, construction, you know, starts is up. And you made this point. This We're talking about apartment. We're talking about multifamily. We're not talking about single family. So if you are in mortgage, if you are in um, real estate, I mean, I guess real estate, you could be, you could, maybe you're an agent that also shows, um, that does leasing, but your takeaway from that is should not be like, oh, this is, this is going to be good. The builders are coming in to save us. Really. The takeaway is like the fact that we have, uh, more supply is actually going to be good for mortgage rates, but it's a very roundabout way of, of helping you. Here's, here's an interesting thing. The builder's confidence has now four months of positive uh, trend data. Um, first, it was the forward-looking data, even though the index fell, and then they've had three months. Normally, that's the bottom of housing. Like, if you look at the charts on this, like, you know, a lot of my Wall Street economist friends who are really bearish, uh, they always say housing is a sector. But on paper, if you look at the builder's confidence data, it matches every housing bottom and every recession bottom. Um, my, my, premise is that this is a very, very funky housing cycle. And, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I'll say this in two, we're, our existing home sales monthly is, is at 2007 levels right now, right? And inventory is near all-time lows. Things are different. So you're going to have to look at housing economic data a little bit differently. And we had a waterfall dive in demand and a sharp bounce. Uh, on paper, if you're an analyst, you're supposed to say, oh, that's the housing bottom because that looks like every housing bottom we've ever seen. You need rates to go lower and lower. And remember, the builders are not the existing home sales market. This is two different places. So if they can move product uh, uh, and there are such a small, uh, uh, smaller place of the market, you know, the last new home sales report had 68,000 homes for sale. Okay. So it's just not, it's not that big. Be a little bit careful of you know, comparing the builders to the existing home sales in this marketplace, because the builders new home sales report actually was really good, but the existing home sales market is is, is coming back through forward looking purchase apps. There's a lot more that has to happen for this to really get a leg up. And, and I'm not shy about, you know, if I believe, if I thought that, Hey, this is it, we're going, I mean, COVID-19, April 7th, 28 games on, here we go. You know, let's, let's, and it's Logan, no one has ever, no one has ever accused you of being shy about about expressing how you feel or about coming out with something. Yeah, yeah so just be a little bit mindful with that data, and um, I, I think there's just there's there's a few nervous people out there uh, on Wall Street because they're like, wait a second. I, I, I joked about this on Twitter. I said things that don't happen during a housing bubble crash. The builder's confidence at four months of you know positive trending data. Does that happen during a, oh, is this a housing bubble crash? Where's everyone out? You know, so uh, it's complicated, right? Uh, if, if you are, if you're a trained analyst and your job is to look at data day in and day out and talk about it, you have an advantage over people that are, who don't forecast, who get third party information and they're supposed to talk about it, but they're not trained to talk about it. You can see this by the things they say. Uh, so those of us, how, there's not many of us left in the world we we dive into the data daily, right? So we un, we understand the daily. But for other people, I just think they they they're given information from surveys and they're supposed to talk about it that way. I think that makes it a little bit more difficult uh, to 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 make a strong opinion on it. 
Logan, always love having you on. Love your very, um, let's see, your very dramatic and uh, storytelling abilities, uh, telling us about about the slow dance between the mortgage rates and tenure yield. You always make it interesting, which I know our, our uh, listeners and our audience loves. And I, I, you know what I need to do? I need to go to one of these conferences and get someone from the uh, uh, floor and do a slow dance with the 10-year yield <laughs> charts and mortgage rates on stage. That I think will get people convinced okay. on why that I, I bet we could set that up. <laughs> and let, let me know, listeners, if that's if you <laughs> want to see that. Oh my gosh, I'm now going to get spammed. Do not let me know if you want that. Okay. Uh, the last thing is, so this weekend you will have the data because we're doing this on Friday, but this will come out on Monday. We will, people will be able to look at the tracker and see what the information you got over the weekend on inventory is. So uh, look out for that. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be probably the most interesting tracker of the year so far, because, you know, by the end of this day, we'll have a lot and we'll, we'll know a lot more Sunday night. And by Monday morning, when the tracker article comes out, we'll have a lot more information, but man, what a week, what a wild. And I know I'm not supposed to say, but it was fun, you know, for us geeky nerds. This is, this is our time. Uh, uh, When things get crazy like this, we get to uh, uh, test our own models. I'm glad it's fun for someone. Uh, On that positive note, we'll end and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Logan. Pleasure, Sarah Wheeler, as always. Success might look different this year, but it's out there for those willing to work for it. That's why 2023's Gathering of Eagles will focus on forging opportunities, the perfect chance for industry leaders to take a proactive approach to continually move the needle in their businesses and the real estate industry at large. Gathering of Eagles will bring together the nation's top residential real estate CEOs, presidents, and C-level leadership teams to grow, network, and set the pace for what's next in our industry. 2023's GOE is at Omni Barton Creek Resort in the rolling hill country of Austin, Texas from June 18th until the 21st. Learn more and register your spot on the events page at realtrends.com. And we can't wait to see you in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.